well, God, I guess we're actually going through with it. Today, we finalize everything. I hate even thinking about it, that word, divorce. It sounds so ugly. I think about what everyday life will be like without Dave, and honestly, it breaks my heart. I mean, we can't stay together, not now, but we just had so many years of being together, and it's just ending. It feels weird, and if I feel like this, imagine how the kids must feel. I hate knowing we're putting them through this. I don't even know what to do next. I guess I'll just start with getting through today. Dawn. Well, good morning and welcome to what I honestly believe is the biggest series of the year. In fact, I don't know that I've ever been part of as big a series as we're about to enter. And I'll tell you why. It isn't just the four talks that I'm going to bring. It's what's going to happen with us as a church family during this time. Because during these 21 days, we are going to take a journey of prayer. And during the 21 days, I'm going to ask all New Springers, and first of all, just imagine this, if you will, the thousands and thousands of people who attend worship here on a weekend. Imagine the thousands of us as New Springers praying together every day. And I know that we won't be praying together geographically, but here's the thing. Jesus said, where two are gathered, I am in the midst. And when we gather in prayer, we, we, are, in, we are inviting Jesus Christ into our lives. And I believe this is going to be an extraordinary time. So I'm asking all New Springers to take part of your day to pray. And here's the thing. In a moment, I'll be talking about a website, and that website will contain all kinds of prayer requests. You're going to have some prayer needs. Your friends are going to have some prayer needs. I am only going to ask you to pray for one thing. You're only going to hear from me to pray, asking you to pray for one thing. I'm going to ask you to pray for all the other New Springers who are praying during this season of prayer because I believe these 21 days are going to be extraordinary. This is going to be a journey of interaction with God. I am convinced, and I mean, I just here's the thing, and let me, let me give you the background for why I'm thinking this. It is very strange for me to start the biggest series of the year on the first day of summer vacation, first weekend. And I'm asking, I mean, I don't know. Why, I, I want to know, why didn't I get this in January or September? Those are usually big, big times for us. Why did I get such a big series right at the beginning of summer vacation? I don't know. It's just God's timing. And I have a sense that he's got a purpose and a plan for all this. But I really believe that during these 21 days, we as a church and you as individuals and you as families are going to see God do some extraordinary things. Things happen when God's people pray. And when thousands of New Springers pray every day, this is going to be a season of extraordinary things. So I'm asking you to participate every day. And you say, well, Mark, prayer is something I do already, then rock on. On the other hand, you say, prayer is something I do or, you know, every once in a while, I'm going to ask you to do it daily. And for some of you, it'll be the first time that you've ever entered. And, and you'll say, Mark, I don't even know how to pray. That's what today's talk is going to be about, okay? So just stay tuned. The second thing that I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to journal. You know, we, I, at the moment, a moment ago, I asked you to take a journey with me. The word journey and journal come from the same word as you might imagine, which means day. 
Journey is a day's travel. Journey is a journal is a day's story. So I'm going to ask you to write your story down on a daily basis. And if you go to our website that I'll talk about in just a moment, you actually have at least one option that I can uh, that I think of, maybe more. But there's there's an option for an online journal if you want to be part of that. There are quite a few online journals, and or you might be old school like me and you just want to write. Right on, uh, right on real paper, and you can just buy a journal or a diary, but I'm asking you to journal. And here's why I'm asking you to do this, because I know some of you say, well, I just don't journal. It's not my thing. You're going to want to for these 21 days, because you want to keep track of your story. You want to keep track of the stories that involves on a daily basis. As you share your heart requests with God, as you share what you learn, as you write down what you learn, you're going to want it for yourself. You're going to want it to tell other people because you're going to have a story when these 21 days are over. So I'm asking you whether you're a journaler, and I'm not one, or not. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be actually doing this for the first time myself because I just never have done this before. But I believe so strongly that God is going to do extraordinary things during these 21 days that start tomorrow that I'm asking you to journal. And then we are launching a website called talkingtogod.com, and it's already up. You can already start navigating it. But as of tomorrow morning, every morning, there's going to be something about prayer. There will be scriptures about prayer. Actually, I'm doing the first four, and other leaders here at New Spring will be helping you. They'll be coming alongside you and sharing with you powerful stuff about prayer. And you say, Mark, I don't know much about prayer. Well, every morning, if you'll click on to talkingtogod.com, you'll get something that will help you help you journal, help you start your journaling. And then on top of that, you can share your comments on talkingtogod.com. You can share your prayer requests on talkingtogod.com. If God answers a prayer, you can put that, you can, you know, send that to the rest of us on talkingtogod.com. So I want you to, you don't have to check it out right now, but it is up. And as of tomorrow morning, it'll be firing. Okay. That's what we're dealing with. Why is this so important? Because I think prayer is something that well, we either misunderstand in a lot of cases or something is not even part of our lives. So let's, let's ask the question, why is prayer so difficult? Well, to help us, let's ask another question. Was there ever something in your life that should have been natural, organic, and free-flowing, but somehow it became something scripted, formal, or maybe even coerced? Let me ask that again. Was there ever something that you had in your life that should have been natural, organic, and free-flowing, but somehow it managed to become scripted, formal, or maybe coerced. If, it, if you've experienced this, chances are something that you would have normally enjoyed, something that would have normally been part of your life, is something now that you have to force yourself to do, or something that you don't even want to do. I'll, I'll give you an example. I like to talk. I mean, talking in front of all you scares me. I'm a pretty shy person. But as far as talking, I'm a very verbal person. If you're a personal friend of mine, some of you are, you know what it's like to sit across the table from me or sit in my office or ride in a car with me. I am a very verbal person. I just am very expressive. With me, what you see is what you get. I will sooner or later tell you what is on my mind. Now, as much as I like to talk, there is a time when I freeze up, and that is when they put a camera in my face. And every once in a while, as you'll see, like if you look at the little video at the beginning of, uh, on the website, talkingtoguy.com, they, they shoot a video of me explaining what prayer is. And for some reason, every time a camera gets poked in my face, I sort of freeze up. But I still do okay as long as I can be extemporaneous. But the problem with being extemporaneous is I'm always getting halfway through something and having to say, oh, no, I don't want that, or I'll make a mistake. Well, let's start over. So several years ago, we got the idea to get a prompter, a teleprompter. And I don't know if you've any, any of you have ever worked with a teleprompter or not, but a prompter is like a little screen that sits in front of the lens of the camera, and you've got this 
moving narrative. And in my case, most of the time, I've written the words. But there's something very, I, I'd finally just given up. I don't want to work with a prompter. I saw what happened to President Obama. That was one thing. And then the second thing is, I, I, just, I just don't like working with a prompter because something like talking, which should have been natural, organic, and free-flowing, becomes scripted, ritualistic, and, and coerced. Do you, have you experienced anything like that? The reason why I ask that question, I think for many of us, prayer now has fallen into that category. Well-intentioned, good-hearted people tried to teach us about prayer, and somehow that organic interchange with God became scripted, ritualistic, and coerced. I remember when I was a little kid in Sunday school, I was told to say my prayers. You know, that sounds like such a good statement. It's so wrong. Say your prayers. Many of us were taught to repeat prayers. Somebody else wrote the prayer, we repeat them. And many of us grew up repeating them in church, and, and there's all the jokes about the humma da humma da humma da humma da humma Why? Because you're repeating prayers, you don't even think about them, you're just repeating words. And if you grew up in a church like I grew up in, it is amazing how that some people, when they pray, they adapt a totally different voice, or they adopt a different voice. You ever hear anybody like that? It's like they just talk normally until they start praying, and they're just, oh, God. It's like you, you're staying, and you see stained glass, and you hear pipe organ music. And explain this one to me. <laughs> you know, people talk in normal language, and they use personal pronouns, you and yours and everything. And all of a sudden, when they start praying, it's, oh, thou. It's like God is in the 1600s. <laughs> oh, thou, God, God, you know, it's thine. Well, I think this freakishness has so disconnected us from what prayer is all about that by the 21st century, prayer is not a very big part of the average Christ follower's life. I got on a Christian website this week. I didn't intend to do it for this purpose, but it's a Christian website that I'm on occasion. And it's a website for people who believe pretty much the stuff I believe. So it would have been a friendly, it was not a contrarian website from, for the evangelical per, persuasion. And on the front page of the website, there was something called Hot Topics for Christians. So in other words, if you click onto this website, chances are, you know, if you're a Christ follower, this is something that you're interested in. And if you want to explore, you just click on. So they got all this long list, 128 things, hot topics for Christians. My goodness, everything from abortion to Arab Spring, Bible translations, entertainment, evangelicalism, gay marriage, Kirk Cameron, Mormonism, movies, persecution, Tim Tebow. I mean, that's just a sampling of 128 hot topics for Christians. Do you know that prayer didn't even make the list? Prayer's not even in the top 128. And yet when I open the Bible, and when you open the Bible, prayer is part of the life of every successful God-following man, woman, child, teen. In fact, the Bible gives us hundreds of verses inviting us to pray. Let me give you some of my favorites. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. Luke 18, 1, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
First Peter 4, 7. This is an interesting one. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. We would think it would be the other way around. Pray, so, pray that you can be clear-minded. And God said, no, be clear-minded so you can pray. Psalm 62, 8. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And then Jeremiah 33, 3 is such a favorite verse. A lot of people say Jeremiah 33, 3 is God's telephone number. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I'll tell you marvelous and wonderful things that you could never figure out on your own. All right, let's start the journey. Let's start the trip right now. What is prayer? What is prayer? If it's not ritualistic, if it's not something that you repeat, if it's not something that you just say, what is prayer? The more logical among us would say something like this, because this is what I think about. If God hears every sound, and if God knows every thought, why is prayer even necessary? In other words, Jesus said this in the Bible. He said that God knows what we need before we ask. So if God hears every word you say, and if God knows every thought that you have, what even comprises prayer? What distinguishes prayer? What makes a prayer a prayer? What makes a prayer different from any other conversation? What makes a prayer different from any other kind of thought? Well, it is true that God hears every sound, and it's true that God knows every thought. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a party, maybe in, in a party where 25, 30 people in the same room, and you know how it is when you get a bunch of people in a small room, the sound just gets louder and louder and louder because everybody's trying to talk over the noise. Now, technically speaking, you hear everything that's going on in that room. You hear all the sound. But all of a sudden, there is one voice that you hear more than any other voice. Why? Because that voice is directed to you. Somebody is now talking to you. Somebody is asking you a question. Somebody is greeting you. And out of all that din and all that noise, you're able to focus on that person because that person is focused on you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what distinguishes prayer. God hears every sound, hears every voice, knows every thought, but he especially hears it when one person in the world focuses his or her attention on God and directs communication toward him. That is prayer. In fact, that's the reason why today's talk is called Click Send. Because the, the fact of the matter is, I don't know if you ever thought about this, because everyone's supposed to say, oh, I'm too busy to pray. My life's just too... You're already doing the work of prayer. Do you know that? Every single one of us is already doing all the work necessary for a dynamic prayer life. Because see, here's the thing. Think about it like you have an iPad out. You're composing prayers all the time. When you think about what's going on in your life, when you analyze your issues, when you worry, worries are just prayers that are not, you don't click send. You're just continuing to compose. See, all the time when you think about your thoughts or you talk to other people about your thoughts, you're doing all the work of prayer. But prayer is when you compose what's going on in your life, your fears, hopes, and dreams, and you click send and send it to God. And we should talk to God about all kinds of things. A few moments ago in Ephesians 6, 18, the Bible says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Are you ready for this? Prayer is not about prayer. See, this is, the, this is where we get so messed up. You know, oh, you got to say your prayers. Why? Because prayer is important. There's power in prayer. Prayer is not about prayer. Prayer is about a relationship. For a moment, just to work through this with me, think about the human being that you're closest to in the world. For me, it's Mary Alice. When I delivered the first 
sermon last night at 4 o'clock. Mary Alice was over in the gallery, and I looked over at her, and I thought about all the communication I have with Mary Alice. I talk to her about all kinds of things. I tell her my needs, my fears, my dreams, the daily stuff, words of affection, I'm sorry, which I say a lot. You see, I mean, and here's the thing, you know, in fact, on the way to the church last time, I was talking to her about the sermon, and here's, when I, when I talk to Mary Alice, I don't think consciously about the fact I'm communicating. See, I'm talking to her about something. Communication is something that is organic. Now, if you have a communication breakdown in the most important relationship in your life, then you probably do need to talk to a counselor about communication. But if it's healthy, you don't need to because you're just communicating about stuff. And you don't think I'm communicating. You're focused on the message that you're sharing with that person. Well, communication is the connection component of a relationship, just like prayer is the communication component with God. Prayer is like an HDMI cable. I go here because all my life I've heard an expression. People have talked to me about the power of prayer. In fact, when I was a kid, there was a famous book called The Power of Prayer. In fact, you can get on the Internet today and click on The Power of Prayer, and there's all kind of stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, let me be as clear as I possibly can be today. There is no more power in prayer than there is power in an HDMI cable. The power is not in your prayer. The power is in your God. Every once in a while, people will talk about, you know, his faith got him through. No, his faith didn't get him through. His God got him through. His faith just connected him with his God who got him through. But prayer is important because like an HDMI cable, it connects you with God. Let me give you the most important thing I'll say all day. Please don't leave after I give you this, but this is the biggest thing I'll say. Prayer connects your fears, needs, and dreams with God's power, resources, and sovereignty. See, here's the thing. I got stuff in my, I got needs in my life I don't have the supply for. I have dreams that I cannot pull off. I have failures that I cannot do anything about. But when I'm connected with God, God brings all the power, God brings all the resources, and he is sovereign, he rules the universe. So when I pray, I bring all my needs and fears and dreams to the God who knows what to do with everything that's going on in my life. Prayer is the connection. One of the questions that I've been asked a lot, and in, in, in dear people with good hearts have asked me this question. How do I know if I'm praying right? How do I know if I'm saying the right words? Or the one that really gets me, and I've heard people say this for years, oh, you pray such a nice prayer. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> he prays a beautiful prayer. I mean, I talk to Mary Alice all the time. I've never had her say, Mark, that was a beautiful speech. <laughs> See, prayer does not come down to the strength or eloquence or perfection of your words. It will come down to the power and glory of God. It's not what we say, it's what he does. It is just you bringing your honest feelings to him. And then here's the thing, this is what is so wonderful to me, and I don't know if I have any soul brothers or soul sisters here, but I am so glad that prayer does not come down to the strength of my words because there have been times in my life when I needed prayer the most, I needed God the most, and I was not in a strong place. 
Is there anyone like that? There was a time when you prayed and called out to God and you were not in a good place. And if prayer had come down to how eloquent you were and how strong your faith was, it wouldn't have been the best thing in the world. Actually, some of the great, and I'll share some of these as the series goes on. Some of the greatest answers to prayer that I've experienced in my life were in weak moments. And they weren't especially good prayers. I remember 35 years ago, I was the associate pastor of the Bible Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, 22-year-old kid. And they turned so many things over to me. I was over all the education along with all the other things that I had to do. But in my role of overseeing all church education, I kind of knew who was coming to our church. And there was a 10-year-old girl named Glenn, G-L-Y-N-N. And I still remember the address. Isn't that strange? When you get old, like a lot, of, a lot of you young adults, you don't know this yet, but memory is a weird thing. I can remember the address of a house I visited 35 years ago. I can't remember where I'm supposed to be at 3 o'clock today. <laughs> but one of the reasons why I remember this house so well is I visited it so often. This little 10-year-old girl had come to faith in our church, and she loved our church and very much wanted her parents to come. And so I would go to the home to visit her parents, her dad especially. And they didn't like God, they didn't like faith, and they didn't like me. And so time after time after time, basically they just, whenever I go to this house and talk to them and try to invite them to come to church because their daughter loved it so much, it was like basically, please go away. And I'd had a lot of those experiences, but one day Glenn got sick and she was taken to the neighborhood hospital in North Houston where we were. And so because she was in the hospital, I jumped in the car and I ran, ran to the hospital. And uh, when I got there, her room, I could tell Glenn was very, very sick. The room was filled with her family, her parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. And uh, I walked in, and they looked and glared at me like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Mark, you know, I'm from, from the church, and, and I just wanted to come have a prayer for Glenn. And it was like, well, if you have to, if this is the only way we can get rid of you, then I guess you can come in and pray a prayer. And I was, listen, I've been blessed most of my life. People have been good to me. But this is one of those few occasions where I walked in a room, and it was clear everybody wanted me out. They did not want me there. I was not welcome there. They didn't, they didn't care about me. They didn't care about my God. Their little girl was sick, and the last thing they wanted was some 22-year-old kid walking in wanting to talk to a God they didn't even believe in. And I remember like yesterday holding Glenn's hand, and i got to be honest with you, when I prayed a prayer, the only thing that was on my mind, listen, there was no spiritual depth, there was no great act of faith, the only thing that was on my mind was these people don't want me here, I need to get out of here as soon as I possibly can. I prayed some words, I don't remember what I said, and I left and they were glad to see me go. About a week later, I thought, well, I'm going to get my courage up and go over to the house and see if I can find out something about Glenn, and I was expecting to be treated badly. I, not, I rang the doorbell, and her dad met me at the door and said, Mark, please come in. Her mother met me and held on to me, and they said, would you please take a seat over here on the couch? Can we get you some iced tea? I thought I was in the twilight zone. <laughs> and then they poured out the story. They said Glenn was very sick. Her fever was so high, the number I'm thinking of, I'm thinking, surely it can't beat that. But I remember a number that was just extraordinarily high. Her fever was high. She was sick. They, they tried everything they could at that hospital to get her fever to come down, and they, could, they couldn't even tell what was wrong with her. Glenn's head was exploding. She was screaming out in pain. An ambulance was on its way from the city of hospitals on the south side of Houston. Texas Children's, Texas Children's Hospital was sending an ambulance. It was on its way to take Glenn to the Texas Children's Hospital. After I prayed, the fever broke immediately, and the headache stopped, and she was fine. They could never figure out what was wrong with her. 
And the parents were saying, we're so glad. We're so thankful that you prayed. Now, I want to take... I want to tell you something. That was a lousy prayer. I want to be honest with you. That was a lousy prayer. It was not a prayer prayed in faith. It was a prayer prayed in embarrassment. It was a prayer that was prayed and I need to just get out of here. That is all. It was not the strength of my words. It was the strength of our God. Please don't think that prayer... Please don't think that prayer comes down to your strength or eloquence or how many Bible studies you've been to or how many things you know to twist God's arm. It is not that. Some of the greatest answers of prayer in the Bible came to helpless people, not weak people, but helpless people. How about a thief on the cross who was dying capital punishment by his own admission? He deserved to die. Who said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It wasn't a strong prayer. It was a strong Savior. When you read about the publican, when you read about the publican, publicans, I've told you this before, publicans were so bad that they, were, they got their own classification of being sinners. In the Bible, so many times it talks about publicans and sinners. They weren't even good enough to be considered sinners. They were tax collectors. They were the scum of the earth. And in Jesus' story, a religious guy, a Pharisee, goes to the temple to pray, and he's telling God how good, you know, I'm God, I'm so good, I do all this awesome stuff. Remember the old tax collector? Just hit himself in the chest and wouldn't even, didn't even, didn't, didn't even feel like looking up. Just hit himself in the chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, that man went home justified. Why? Not because he preached a great prayer, but because there was a great God on the other side. See, prayer, there's no power in prayer. It's the connection. Prayer is the HDMI cable. Prayer connects your dreams, fears, and concerns and hopes for the future and fears. Prayer connects what's going on in your heart with what's going on in heaven. That's the strength of prayer. So just click send. You're composing the thoughts already. Just focus and click send. The Bible says it this way in Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God, click send. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard, actually the Greek word is garrison, like it puts a whole division of troops around your mind. His peace will garrison your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, I've been honest with you through the years, and I'm not going to stop now. Faith comes hard for me. I'm so envious of Mary Alice. Faith seems so natural and organic for her. Faith comes hard for me. I'm a practical, pragmatic person. I like proof set on the table. And I, I struggle with being a spiritual person. And I believe everything in the Bible, but I haven't come to that easily. And I think, there's, I think we need a moment of painful honesty as to why prayer is so difficult. Let's be honest right now. Prayer is talking to somebody you can't see who doesn't speak back audibly. That's why it's hard for me. I don't know if I told you this in intensive care, but when I was in one of the lowest days that I went through during that time, I can remember we were almost about to pull into the driveway of the church. Mary Alice and I were going to work one day, and I was at such a low place, I said this to her. I said, I would give 10 years of my life to have a 10-minute conversation with Jesus if he could talk back to me. 
meant that. I would give 10 years of my life to have a 10-minute conversation with Jesus so he could talk back to me. Well, I'm so thankful God didn't take me up on that dumb offer because <laughs> I need all those years. <laughs> but there's a bigger reason. For all of us who wonder, why doesn't God just materialize and talk to me? Are you listening to me, please? If God were to do that, it is the cruelest thing he could do to you. Why is that? Do you realize that when it gets right down to it, you really have very little to offer God? I talked to you about an offering a moment ago and giving to, you know, New Spring and Kids World. But really, the fact of the matter is you don't really give anything to God when you when you give because everything belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness. So when we give to God, we're just giving him back what belongs to him already that he's given us on loan. Honestly, if God wanted to get his hands on Mark Hoover's stack, small as it is, he could turn my lights out anytime. Just take it all. The only thing you can give God is your heart. And God desires your faith. Now listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it is impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because he who wants to approach God or she who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. So if God were to materialize and talk back to us, he would take away our opportunity for faith, which is our only opportunity to please God. And that's why for 21 days I'm going to ask you to explore and go on a journey with me of prayer as we pray daily and journal daily and we ask God to do extraordinary things during this season. As I get ready to close out this talk, I could be talking to somebody. Here's the thing. Some of you are already into this. You do this already every day. It's just going to be another day at the office for you. You're just excited about this 21-day season. Others of you, you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm in. But it could be that I'm talking to another Mark Hoover out there, and you have the same personality that I have. And you're saying, all right, I'm somewhat interested in this, but I'm kind of on the bubble. I'm not really sure if I'm ready to participate. I'm still not sure about prayer. I want to ask you three questions, and then we'll go home. Here's the first one. Would you talk to God if you knew he was listening to you? Now, now, now don't let that just bounce off your halo, okay? Because a lot of us, when we're in church, we do church language. Now, I'm not talking about church language. I'm talking about real gut-level stuff. What if, if, if you knew that the God who stepped out on nothing and called this world into existence. If, you're talking about, if, you, if you knew that the God took a handful of dust, blew his breath into it, and became a living person, Adam, if you're, if, if you're talking about the God who did surgery on Adam and then did his best work, if you're talking about the God who wrote the code for DNA, if you knew that God was listening to you personally, not to all the Christians in the world, not to all the people at New Spring, I'm talking about you personally. If you knew that God was listening to you, would you talk to him? In 1 John 5, 14, the Bible says we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And I think this is my first post that you'll see tomorrow morning. 1 John 5, 15, we know he hears us. Hey, listen, he, he hears everything already. I mean, the Bible says he's aware when a sparrow falls from the sky. So when you talk to him, he hears you. A new springer wrote this to me when she knew I was getting ready for this series. 
He wrote a message to me and included a verse, and I loved it so much. I thought, I've got to put this in the first talk. Psalm 116.2. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray to him as long as I have breath. I mean, do you get that? God's not like up in heaven saying, oh, is that Mark? I mean, here's the thing. God is bending down to listen to me. What a mistake I make if I go a whole day without prayer because the God of the universe is listening for me. He's waiting for me to talk to him. Man, President Obama, he's so busy, he doesn't have time to hear from me. Governor Brownback doesn't have time to hear from me. All kinds of powerful people, they don't have time to hear from you, and yet the God of the universe has got his ear bent down waiting to hear from you. Would you talk to him? If you knew he was listening to you. Let's get more personal. Would you talk to God if you thought it might change things? Would you talk to God if you thought it might make a difference? Now, I know God's not a genie. You can't rub the lamp and get God's wishes or get, get your wish in heaven. I mean, God's not giving you three wishes. It's not like that kind of thing. But let me ask you a question. Would you talk to God if you thought it might change things? I went to a school for pastors that was ultra-Calvinistic or hyper-Calvinistic. That means probably absolutely nothing to you, and you're fortunate that it doesn't. Well, let me just tell you what the theology school I went to taught. The idea is that God has already predetermined everything. Nothing's going to change. Everything is already set in concrete. And the whole idea was prayer. You just pray because you're supposed to pray. It gives God glory, but it ain't going to change anything. Everything's already predetermined. And God's already picked who's going to go to heaven, who's not going to go to heaven. And, and, that was, and I'm going to be real honest with you. That was bogus then. It's bogus now. I mean, I just know too much of the Bible. I know better than that. And I knew better than that then. But the best professor on campus taught that class. And it was a class for seniors. And it was a class for guys who were going to go into pastoring. So everybody was terrified of this professor because he, he was especially good at one thing. He would love to lead classroom debate. And so brilliant was he. He loved to lead students out along the primrose path and then cut them off at the knees. And so we were all terrified of going into his class. And here's what he would do. He would, like, take his gray book on the first day of class, cover his eyes, put his finger down on a name, and that poor, that poor victim was going to get hung out to dry in front of everybody else in the class. So here we are. First day of this class, I'm there. I'm terrified along with all the other young theologues. And he puts his hand over his eyes and comes down. Mark Hoover. <laughs> oh, Lord. But it turned out he was going to throw me a slow pitch. He was just going to throw me the easy question. Then he was going to build off that question. So the slow pitch he threw to me was this. And you know already what the theology says, that God's already predetermined everything. That's what he wants to get to. So the pitch he throws to me was, Mark Hoover, was there ever a situation in the Bible where God decreed that something would happen and it didn't happen? And I said, yes. Bobby, I mean, I got to know him later as a friend, but Bobby looked up like he'd been shot. <laughs> he said, excuse me? I said, yes. Yeah, there were times when God decreed that something was happened and then he changed it. He was, would you mind telling me when that was? I said, yeah. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, God told him he was going to die. Sent Isaiah the prophet to tell him he was going to die. Hezekiah prayed, and God added 15 years to his life. He paused for a moment and said, I don't think you want to get into that. <laughs> years later, he was such a good teacher, I didn't have him teach on 
on salvation. But I had him come teach our teachers on teaching. And we went out to eat. This was after I was pastor here. And we went out to eat. And I said, Bobby, I told him that story. I said, I want to get into it now. (laughs) And guys, by the way, let me just tell you something. We believe at New Spring, whosoever will may come. And I tell you what I do believe. And I've spent my whole life thinking about this. I believe God listens to the prayers of his people. And when God's people pray, things change. Let me read to you the story of Hezekiah I just read to you. This is Isaiah going up to tell Hezekiah the bad news. Hezekiah's 39 years old. He's sick. He doesn't know what's going to happen. The prophet, his pastor Isaiah says in 2 Kings 20 verse 1, this is what the Lord says, set your affairs in order for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. I mean, that is God's word to Hezekiah. You will not recover. You're going to die at the age of 39. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and begins to cry and pray and tell God that he loves him and asks God for help and for healing. And God stops Isaiah in the courtyard of the palace and says to his prophet, you make a U-turn and go back, verse 5, and tell Hezekiah, I have heard your, look at this, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. I will add 15 years to your life. I will ask you the question this morning, would you talk to God? if you thought it might make a difference. In fact, James says in James chapter 4, verse 2, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Man, i got to believe that. There's stuff I'd like to have, stuff I need that I don't have because I haven't asked God for it. I just want to shake our Calvinistic nation. I mean, this is the school of theology that so many, I mean, this is effect, this has gotten in the, this poison has gotten in the groundwater of our theology for hundreds of years. I just want to stand before you and say, the message of the word of God is this, when God's men, God's women, God's teenagers, when God's kids pray, things change. Would you pray if you thought it might make a difference? And now let's make it personal. I got one more question for you. When Jesus was on the earth, you know, he's doing extraordinary things. And not long before the end of Jesus' life on the earth, he was walking with an entourage, hundreds, maybe thousands of people around him. And you can imagine a big old entourage like that would make a lot of noise. Jesus is walking down the road there was a blind man, and back in those days, there were no social services, there was no education for people who were sight impaired. There was a blind man doing the only thing he can do, he's begging, and he hears the sound, and he picks up enough that he can tell that Jesus is coming. And at the top of his voice, he begins to scream out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I need to let you know that son of David is a term that ascribes to Jesus messianic proportions. It was a small act of faith, but you know what the Bible says about mustard seeds. And you also remember what I told you. I mean, even though there's this huge crowd, God hears it when somebody focuses on him, and this poor blind man kept crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody around him said, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. You're bothering me. He doesn't care about you. You're too unimportant. It didn't stop him. He just kept crying, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and walked over to him. And he said, 
what would you like me to do for you? you say, Are you kidding me? The man's blind. Jesus is calling him to focus. He's calling him to answer what he wants so they don't know what to give thanks for when Jesus has done it, and he's called him to ascribe to the fact Jesus is going to do it. Now think about this. What would you like me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I'd like to see. And Jesus said, all right, you can see. Now, guys, I want to tell you what I believe about this series and why it's the biggest series of the year. I believe this series is 21 days of Jesus appearing before you in New Spring Church asking you, what would you like me to do for you? Man, I've heard Christians say prayer is not about your needs. Prayer is about glorifying. I mean, some people are too spiritual for God. I mean, prayer, I mean, obviously it glorifies God, but prayer is about you telling God your needs, fears, and dreams. And yes, it's about thanksgiving, and yes, it's about adoration, but Jesus is standing before you saying, what would you like me to do for you? You say, well, it had been great to have been back there with that blind man. When I read Hebrews 13, verse 8, the Bible says this to me, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And through his Holy Spirit, I believe he is here today, and I believe he's walking these aisles and these chairs, and he stops at your chair. And you've got burdens, and you've got things on, on your heart that are so heavy, you don't know how you're making it through. Some of you are hanging on by your fingernails. Can you feel the touch of Jesus as he stands before you like he stood before that helpless blind man? As he stops before you and says, what would you like me to do for you? Well, you have an opportunity to tell him. You have an opportunity to put it on the website tomorrow. But I believe we're going to see God do extraordinary things during this season.